the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 634 for August 5th, 2018. Huawei passes Apple as the number two smartphone vendor worldwide, iPad Pro rumors start to heat up, and WhatsApp adds group voice and video calling ahead of FaceTime. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joy Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, first in the news, with 54.2 million smartphones shipped in the second calendar quarter of 2018, Chinese smartphone company Huawei has surpassed Apple to become the number two worldwide smartphone vendor, according to new data shared by IDC. According to the report, Apple's share of the smartphone market in the second quarter was 12.1%, compared to Huawei's 15.8%. Huawei saw 41% year-over-year growth in market share, with an increase of 15.7 million smartphones shipped in Q2 2018, compared to Q2 2017. Samsung continues to be the number one smartphone vendor, with 71.5 million smartphones shipped and 20.9% of the market, with Xiaomi and Oppo trailing after Apple, and Huawei with a 31.9 and 29.4 million smartphones shipped respectively. So in total, IDC says there were 342 million smartphones shipped during the second quarter. That's a 1.8% decline from the 384 million smartphones shipped during the second quarter of 2017. I saw a couple of reports this week about uh, the this decline and talking about it in a, a negative light. And, you know, the, the one thing that I think gets lost about it, and you think, well, smartphones have been growing, you know, kind of exponentially here for years. Um, but, you know, at the point of, of, I'll just say, saturation, where you've got, uh, just call it, uh, just over a billion smartphones that are being shipped out every year, billion to a billion and a half, um, we're not talking about life cycles that are every year. And so there's not a user getting a new phone every year. It's every two years or even more, depending on where you are in the world, socioeconomics classes and whatnot. And so the uh, the saturation point um, is is good and bad because obviously it shows that we've got a uh, a, a market that is obviously maturing nicely. Uh, we are seeing devices that are providing a service to their customers in a way that doesn't mean that they need to upgrade as often. Uh, but more than anything, it's also in the middle of a year uh, where you don't have uh, as as much happening at this point. And so we're ta- we're talking through kind of some of the. The different things that will will happen for these businesses, you know, as they go into the third and fourth quarters, which historically have been better quarters uh, for their performance. Right, because you know the lower end smartphones, which is what a lot of these companies definitely sell here in the U.S., they've been still seeing quite you know quite good business because uh, the demand of smartphones and you know people starting to think well, you know these uh, cheaper ones are actually just as good, if not better, than the the smartphone I had you know just a couple of years ago that I'm replacing it with. I you know bought a Samsung, but why do I need to spend that money now when these cheaper ones are you know just as good, if not better? And of course now the same thing like you just said the the life cycles are lasting longer on these because there's really not that much uh new or you know amazing innovation that's coming along every uh you know year like we were seeing so it just drives it uh, to a longer cycle it seems like you know when at one point the, the the upgrade cycle was very much dependent on uh the new phone and when that new phone came out if you were um an android person and you were following and buying samsung devices it was earlier in the year uh, and it was later in the year if you were on the Apple side. Uh, but it, again, that, that is, it doesn't seem to be quite that way uh, anymore. I mean, certainly there's still the early adopters, people that are 
the enthusiasts that are buying their phones right away. Uh, but uh, there are there are other factors that create demand. And uh, the, the, when you talk about the mass market of, of how this stuff is, is being distributed out to the consumer, um, and most of the time that falls around uh, giving and holidays, and that's where the fourth quarter really comes in. And so uh, it's it's a it's an interesting thing. Granted, we are talking about a decline year over year, so we're talking about the same period from one year to the next. So it's it is definitely a something interesting. It's an interesting data point. Still less than two percent. So it's not uh, I would say a concerning you know mark for most of the vendors, but. Again, something to uh, to keep in mind. Um, it, it's a uh, it's an industry that will continue to evolve, and we'll continue to see uh, some changes here with with how devices are you know going uh, are, are being distributed and how they're being purchased and whatnot. But um, it's still pretty pretty fascinating to see that we're talking about somewhere in the realm of uh, you know a billion to a billion and a half devices that are shipped every single year around the world. Next up, Apple announcing its uh, Q3 2018 results on Tuesday, $53.3 billion in revenue and $11.5 billion in profit. During the period, Apple sold 41.3 million iPhones, and that is up slightly from the 41 million from a year earlier. Mac sales fell to 3.72 million, that's down from 4.29 million a year ago iPad sales rose slightly, 11.55 million, up from the 11.42 last year. Uh, gross margin for the quarter was 38.3%. That is compared to 38.5% in the year ago period. International sales accounting for 60% of revenues. Apple also declaring quarterly dividend uh, of 73 cents per share, payable August 16th to shareholders of record as of August. 13th. Uh, another notable thing from Apple this week, um, the first uh, U.S.-based company to pass the trillion-dollar uh, market cap uh, level, which is a very interesting thing. So that is to say, if they were to try and sell themselves off based on their current revenues, it would be approximately a trillion dollars that someone would pay for them, which is to say that's not happening. Uh, but it is, uh, it is, a, is a mark that we have yet seen uh, and uh, certainly very telling about them as an organization. Next up, the FCC took action this week ahead of its planned a- auctions for the 5G spectrum. The FCC deciding to keep the auction for 24 gigahertz and 28 gigahertz separate from the auction for 37 gigahertz, 39 gigahertz, and 47 gigahertz. So the first auction is expected to begin November 14th, the second scheduled for mid-2019. The FCC proposed rule changes to speed up deployments of 5G cell sites, and they are specifically targeting utility poles and local ordinances that tie up carriers with red tape. The FCC hopes to make it easier for carriers to get 5G cell sites approved and installed. And the Trump administration late this week asked the Supreme Court to vacate a 2016 ruling that verified the validity of an Obama-era net neutrality ruling. The rules have already been dismissed by the Republican-led FCC, so there's no real need for this action. But in the filing, the Trump administration wants the court to determine whether the now-suspended 2015 order was invalid because it exceeded the FCC's statutory authority with arbitrary and capricious uh, was arbitrary and capricious and was promulgated without adequate public notice or violated the First Amendment. Wow, they really don't want that there, do they? It's uh, it, it seems like they've got it out for the uh, net neutrality and they're going to do anything they can to make sure that doesn't come back even. Yeah, again, this is doesn't seem like it's something that they would need to do, but uh, are doing it, you know, indeed because they feel uh, that there's, uh, you know, pieces of it that are outstanding that could, uh, to your point, come back. Uh, next up uh, in Verizon-related news, Rock Mobile confirming this week that it's no longer offering service through the Verizon Wireless Network. 
in a release, they said uh, Rock Mobile has decided not to move forward with utilizing Verizon service on our platform. We will continue, though, to support our other carrier wireless carriers and those customers that are on the service. The MVNO originally allowed customers to purchase service from AT&T, Sprint, or Verizon, though now Rock Mobile says only customers who purchase service on AT&T's platform uh, will move forward. Uh, the company no longer offers service on Sprint, but they will put their service uh, who put their service on Sprint will not lose it. Rock Mobile customers who relied on Verizon will need to port their number to AT&T's network to reestablish service. Uh, Rock Mobile apologizing for the inconvenience. Uh, a good example of uh, an MVNO uh, issue. Uh, we've talked about MVNOs over the last couple of weeks. Uh, not something that happens all that often. In fact, I can't remember the last time that an MVNO has dropped service uh, from a carrier, but it's something that could happen because, again, they were just buying the service from one of the other care from a carrier. And so they've got uh, if they choose to not offer that any longer, uh, you could be out of luck. If you want to stay on Verizon and you are a Rock subscriber, uh, you've got to switch over to Verizon. And if you want to stay as a Rock subscriber, you can only use AT&T moving forward. Sprint on Monday announcing a promotion for a monthly lease price of the Apple iPhone 8 for just $8 per month. Sprint says the deal is only available online and via telesales from July 31st through August 9th. Sprint says the promo is now open to new customers and existing customers who add a new line of service. Sprint has a similar deal for the Galaxy S9, which has a monthly lease price of $9. The price is compared to typical lease pricing for these devices at $27 and $35 per month respectively. Into device news. With the expectation for an update to the iPad Pro line for later this year, rumors suggest that the new version will have no home button, face ID, and thinner bezel similar to what we see on the iPhone X. A new asset found in iOS 12 Developer Beta 5 seemingly confirms a new bezel-less iPad for the fall. The asset is part of the battery usage UI and shows an iPad with no home button and thinner bezels. It also has no notch, something of course we have on the iPhone 10, and it looks like a thin, albeit noticeable, bezel on the top that is going to handle the camera and sensor placement for Face ID support, something that a method found in accessibility settings for the beta confirms, uh, along uh, with coming to the new iPad Pro as well. So uh, obviously a lot to uh, to be you know interested in with this. Uh, we've seen uh, over the last uh, couple of cycles just iterations, uh, and so it would be nice to, uh, to see some feature parity here uh, with the iPad to what we have with the latest iPhone. Right, and that's, uh, of course, a very nice uh, change of pace, because for me, I use my iPhone, or I'm sorry, the iPad in landscape orientation basically 98% of the time, and why it's still set up as a portrait device just boggles my mind, really, because it, it, it's very inconvenient to use it that direction, and I uh, definitely look forward to having it set up as landscape. Yeah, and I, I'm one of those people who uses my iPad, you know, with a keyboard. And so I primarily find it in landscape as well. In fact, I can't tell you the last time I used it in portrait every once in a while, maybe I'll do it to read a document or something like that. But uh, really what I, I do is um, I flip it from one or orientation of landscape to the other. Uh, and it all has to do with if I'm using it with the keyboard as a keyboard or if I've got the keyboard folded underneath because if it's folded underneath, you've got to flip it the other way around so that the, the home button is on uh, the left side because, of course, the uh, the smart cover is on the left side as well. And so it's got to be hanging versus, uh, you know, kind of flopping up from the bottom. So anyway, um, I'm excited to see, obviously, a number of things with this here. The face ID is great. Uh, no home button. Great. Don't need that anymore. Uh, and uh, less bezels is great. Um, and then there's a, some talk, too, about rounded corners. 
on the screen. If you look at your iPad screen right now, it's a square uh, versus the iPhone 10 as an example, which has got the rounded corners on it. So um, a lot going on uh, with, uh, you know, some things uh, that are being seen uh, in the developer betas. And, and generally, the stuff does come to fruition and is, uh, you know, pretty factual when it comes to what comes out with these new devices. Um, it, you know, the, uh, the, the timeline for this stuff is uh, pretty quick. Uh, we usually see iPad announcements in the fall along with new iPhones in the fall as well and uh, a lot heating up uh, on the rumor mill. So we're trying to follow this as close as we can, talk about the stuff that we feel is is going to be important. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's out there uh, that, uh, you know, you kind of think, you, well, that could happen, that but it might not and whatnot. So we just talk about the stuff that we think is interesting and will actually uh, be coming to the devices. In Android news, Amazon has made the LG Stylo 4, a rebadged variant of the LG Q Stylus, available via its website as a Prime exclusive. The Stylo 4 includes a stylus and has a metal body with mil-spec 810G for protection against abuse and IP68 protection against water and dust. The Stylo 4 has a 6.2-inch screen with LG's 2x1 full vision resolution. That's 2160x1080. The phone is powered by an uh, octa-core 1.8 gigahertz Snapdragon 450 processor, 3 gigs of memory, 32 gigs of storage. Comes with a 13 megapixel main camera, 5 megapixel camera on the front, and a wide angle lens. 3300 milliamp hour battery with USB C, Bluetooth 4.2, NFC, Wi Fi, and LTE. The fingerprint scanner is located on the rear surface. It ships with Android 8 Oreo and LG's pen based software tools such as Memo and Notes. Amazon is selling the LG Stylo 4 unlocked with support for ATT, T Mobile, and Verizon. It's already being sold by Cricket and Metro PCS. Amazon is charging $250, that's a savings of $50. Samsung this week announcing the launch of its latest tablet, the Galaxy Tab S4. It's very similar to the iPad Pro from Apple. It's been designed as a computer replacement with productivity in mind. Uh, it is a 10.5-inch tablet described as the ultimate entertainment and multitasking assistant. That is, they say, thanks to the inclusion of Samsung DeX, which is the first time Samsung has built the feature into a tablet. DeX is a docking station that is designed to allow Samsung smartphone owners and now tablet owners to connect to the devices, a keyboard, mouse, and monitor through the USB-C port, an HDMI port, and two USB ports. Uh, DeX uh, on the Galaxy Tab S4 works using a simple HDMI adapter or with the DeX dock options, and it offers true multitasking capabilities with users able to open multiple windows at a time. Samsung is offering a $150 book cover keyboard alongside the Tab S4, and it can be paired with DeX to transform the tablet into a PC alongside with a Bluetooth mouse, and will also work with any other Bluetooth keyboard and mouse option as well. Like other Samsung devices, the Tab S4 can be paired with the included S Pen for a stylus, uh, stylus for taking notes, drawings, making artwork, and other purposes. It also has a Qualcomm Octa-Core Snapdragon 835 processor, 4 gigs of RAM, 64 gigs, or 256 gigs of storage that can be expanded with a micro SD card, uh, a 7300 milliamp hour battery with 16 hours of video playback. Uh, it includes a 10 by or 16 by 10 AMOLED display. Uh, there's no home button or fingerprint sensor on the device. Samsung instead relying on facial recognition and iris scanning for biometric uh, authentication. 
Other features include quad speakers, uh, Bixby integration, 13 megapixel front and rear cameras, and a fast charging feature that charges the battery to full in 200 minutes. Samsung's new tablet is priced at $650 for the 64 gig of storage option and $750 for 256 gigs. Samsung is releasing the device on August 10th, which is just after the company plans to unveil its new flagship Galaxy Note 9 device. And Motorola Thursday announcing the Moto Z3, what it calls the first 5G upgradable phone. The phone itself is a version of the Motorola's modular phone. The Z3 closely resembles the recently announced Z3 Play, a 6-inch AMOLED Full HD Plus screen with a Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 processor, 4 gigs of RAM, 64 gigs of storage built in, two 12-megapixel cameras on the rear and a 5-megapixel camera on the front. It's got a 3,000 milliamp-hour battery that lasts all day. Verizon will begin selling the Z3 on August 16th, and the phone will cost $20 a month or $480 at full retail. Verizon will take $300 off the price of the phone for those who switch to Verizon and trade in their old phone. Pricing and availability for the 5G Moto Mod will be announced later this year, and Verizon expects a fixed launch, uh, a launched fixed wireless 5G in a small number of markets, including Houston, LA, Sac- and Sacramento later this year. Verizon says its mobile 5G network will go live in early 2019. And T-Mobile Friday added a mid-range LG Q7 to its lineup. Similar to the Stylo 4, it's got a 5.5-inch display, 2x1 ratio, and a metal frame, IP68 rating for water resistance, with a low-end Snapdragon 450 processor, but 4 gigs of RAM. It includes an FHD Plus screen, uh, NFC, fingerprint reader, 16-megapixel camera, USB-C, fast charging. Uh, it does come with a 3.5-millimeter audio jack and a memory card slot. T-Mobile is selling it for $350. In software news, Apple Pay will reach CVS and 7-Eleven retail locations later this year. Uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook said during the latest earnings call, uh, Apple has also noted that the announcement with Apple Pay, it, that Apple Pay is responsible for more mobile payments than Square and PayPal combined during the second quarter of the year. Obviously, CVS and 7-Eleven, places that many people go on a very regular basis. So nice to see them both included in the list of places that accept the transaction. Right. And of course, with the wireless payment, we really still have not seen that much more adoption of it. I mean, I I see readers uh, occasionally in more places, but it's still not just a quicker mass adoption uh, happening. And it's uh, it is kind of frustrating because it is really pretty handy to make the payments through the uh, through the watch, especially. I've got a great example of something that happened to me this week as well on why this to me feels like the future of, of how we should be doing payments. So um, I, uh, I woke up um, early one morning, rolled over, uh, in, it was in the middle of the night, frankly, uh, rolled over, looked at my phone, and uh, noticed that um, I had received notifications from my bank of uh, credit card usage. Uh, and, of course, uh, I had been sleeping, so clearly it wasn't me that was using the credit card. Uh, and so I, uh, I hopped on the phone and, and called the bank and said, hey, uh, unauthorized usage, uh, shut the card down, et cetera. And um, they said, all right, well, we'll have a new one out to you in you know, a couple of days. Uh, but we also noticed that you are using, a, and I can't remember what they called it, but something like an electronic, um, you know, an, an electronic method for making payments, uh, probably Apple Pay, and uh, we will automatically transfer um, the, uh, the connection from Apple Pay over to your new card. And I thought, oh, that's nice and convenient. Um, and so I didn't think anything of it. 
and uh, went back to bed, so to speak. And uh, so the next day, which was yesterday, I ended up making um, going to lunch and it happened to be a place that accepted Apple Pay. And I just instinctively used it on my watch, as I always do, uh, got the receipt and went and sat down and thought about it a second later. And I said, you know, that's the the, the card that this was attached to has been, you know, uh, shut off. So this has already happened. And I didn't have the credit card then for a full an additional 24 hours after that transaction happened. And so what it kind of tells you is this is, again, kind of in my mind, the future of how this is going to work. Why do we need a physical piece of plastic uh, to when you've got something that uh, is still an effective credential that can be used? And uh, more than that, it's much more secure. It's randomized. And ultimately, if something happens, it can be a switch can be flipped and you've got a brand new number and that number can automatically start being used again. Why that is is not something that, you know, gets talked about um, is beyond me or maybe it is. But it was it, I was absolutely blown away when I figured out after the fact that what had happened, that a credit card that I, have, I don't even have in my possession yet was able to be used with Apple Pay. Right, for example, and then also uh, you had mentioned security, and also the NFC radios are off in the uh, you know watch and the the, the phones when you're not uh, actually authenticating credit cards. So they go away. They they're not they're not presented as credit cards. Unlike the credit cards that have it built in all the time, you know they actually can be skimmed. Uh, granted, it's not that useful because the the, the numbers usually are changed, but there it's still even more secure again than like the credit cards with the wireless uh, payment built in. Yeah, it seems like this would be something uh, that w- from a security perspective um, would would be encouraged uh, and, you know, there would be some support from the credit card companies and perhaps there is, uh, but it just seems like, uh, to your point, uh, the adoption is not nearly as fast as you would hope it would be. Um, there's still many, many places. And, and of course, there's a lot of readers that are old and uh, don't support it and there's no reason to upgrade the readers just for the sake of it, just to make this happen. But um, it would be it would be certainly nice. The other part of it is, you know, some banks are getting their ATMs access to do this as well. Um, mine happens to be one which is kind of a hybrid where I have to use the phones uh, or the bank's application on my phone to create a one time uh, number, a single use number. Um, that is then tied to my debit card. And then I enter that into the ATM. So I don't have to use the piece of plastic, but I enter that into the ATM and then authenticate with my pin. Uh, But it would be nice just to use the phone. Why do we need to go through all of that? Just set it up so that obviously as you do with Apple Pay, you've got the card on there. You swipe over to the card that you want, tap it on the ATM, enter your pin and you're off and running. Doesn't seem to make any sense why you would need to do it this other way. But again, talking about getting your, uh, you know, getting your stuff upgraded and and the way that this stuff, uh, you know, happens is not necessarily as easy as we talk about it. There's there's a lot of technology that goes behind it. So uh, very interesting stuff, though, and uh, nice to see again uh, from the story that we've got two of the biggest uh, retailers for convenience stores now adopting and using Apple Pay. Well, Google on Monday made it easier to schedule meetings in Google Calendar as invitations arrive. Invitees can respond by clicking the usual yes, no, or maybe buttons, or they can select and propose a new time as well. In businesses where people are allowed to view one another's calendars, they'll be able to match up schedules for a time that works with everyone. Guests can then send a new proposal time back, and the original sender uh, will then get the message. Google says the feature is available across domains and with Microsoft Exchange. The feature is available on the web now and will reach mobile devices August 13th. 
WhatsApp this week made it possible to make group voice and video calls through its mobile application. The app has supported one-to-one voice and video for some time. The new features, though, let people connect up to four people with a single call. WhatsApp says the features require users to add participants via uh, one at a time via the Add Participant button that appears in the app. Group calls are encrypted end-to-end, just like one-to-one calls. WhatsApp says the feature should work reliably around the world and in various network conditions. The new WhatsApp is available from the Google Play Store and iTunes App Store. And uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, this is kind of on the heels and ahead of um, the announcement from that FaceTime was getting this feature, uh, but it's coming out before FaceTime will actually roll it out. So uh, WhatsApp, one of the biggest uh, applications for communication around the world, there's well over a billion people that are using it. So nice to see that they've been able to uh, figure out a way to do this here. It's not the, whatever it is, 32 or 64 participants that you can get on FaceTime, but how often are you really talking with that many people? So anyway, four people in WhatsApp, either voice or video. Nice to see that that is now supported. Facebook and Instagram this week both introduced new tools meant to help people control their time spent on the two social networks. The new uh, dashboard, which Facebook says is developed with mental health experts, lets people see how much time they've spent using either application with the average time for that particular app. People can set daily limits for the amount of time they want to spend using the app and reminders to ensure that they don't surpass those limits. Facebook says users can change or cancel reminders at any time. The new dashboard lets people easily mute push notifications so Facebook and Instagram keep interruptions at a minimum. And these updates are rolling out as soon as Facebook and Instagram mobile soon to Facebook and Instagram for Android and iOS. Questions and comments this week. Just one. It comes from Patrick, and he says, Hey, guys, uh, just how unsafe is SMS as a two-factor authentication for regular use? If a hacker is to impersonate and do some sort of social engineering, the current SIM card would be deactivated, and that should be some sort of warning uh, to the user that something is not right. Yes, there's also Stingrays and SS7 flaws, but those aren't happening really, are, but are those happening, that is, to regular users? Uh, there are other alternatives as well, such as Ubiqubes, uh, Google Authenticator, uh, but by far SMS is very convenient. Uh, so, Patrick, you know, one of the things that I think we're really talking about is this idea, um, you know, that SMS is relatively antiquated as a way to authenticate, i.e., it's authenticating something to you uh, via this, you know, directly to your phone number, and it doesn't have the same security protocols as what some of the the newer methods are out there today. And so, um, it, it's it's com- we're comparing this to something like if you're a two-factor authentication person on Google, you've got the Google app on your phone. And so in order to get it, you've got to open your phone and uh, open that application. And there are there are other uh, security measures that you have to go through there. There's other uh, the, you know, authentications, that, if you will. So we're just basically saying here that SMS is just not as good as some of the other methods. Right. And of course, you're right. Uh, the, the SS7 flaws and stingrays aren't really common, so I wouldn't worry about that. But uh, And also, the, the deactivating your current SIM, I don't know if you'd actually notice that it was deactivated, unless you didn't have your data connection at that point. But it, it still shows phone signal. And if somebody really wanted to, and they could impersonate and switch, you know, you you know, switch your phone number out of your current SIM card onto their own, if they were really uh, motivated, they could, and they'd probably do it pretty quick, uh, quickly. So you may not have time to react to that. But yeah, it's still a pretty rare uh, circumstance that that could happen. For me, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's the social engineering part. There's been lots of reports that, you know, people's phone numbers have been taken over or, you know, uh, people who use Google Voice, I suppose, if they have access to your uh, Gmail account, they could, 
you know, get the text message uh, that way if that's the way you have it set up. So that would be just something to watch out for. Uh, you know, also mentioning two-factor, you mentioned Google Authenticator. You know, uh, I, I, with iOS devices now, they do two-factor authentication and they do it through uh, an actual notification going directly to one of your other Apple devices. And it's not using, uh, of course, uh, you know, SMS in that case. And that's, that, that requires uh, an approval on the other device in addition to entering the number that appears on the device on the other device you're trying to activate or log in. Yeah, and it was um, it's something that uh, if you're if you think about like what it generally is is doing when you're sending a text message too, it's just sending over um, a, a simple number. And there are there, there, again there there are other ways um, to do this that are are you know more secure, um, and it, it just doesn't um, it, it's it, it's not as um, it's not as easy for someone to understand or to get where that authentication is going versus an SMS, which comes to your device and uh, directly. And if they've got access to it because of the SIM card, uh, they wouldn't necessarily be able to uh, know what app, you know, app that was. Um, as an example, if you're, if it's just say it's a, an, you know, to a specific app, uh, you would have to install Facebook. You would have to have the credentials for Facebook to then get uh, the notification that says you you, you want to install this on another device. So. Um, although I say all that and I say the SMS definitely is the most convenient. And, and in fact, in the case of Facebook, I do use SMS to authenticate Facebook. I don't use the Facebook application uh, because it's just too inconvenient. And I actually don't use the Facebook application. But whenever I get a new computer or web browser, log into it, um, of course, I've got to authenticate every time. And I go and get the SMS code sent to me directly. Uh, and that's how I do it. But um, there are, I, I think we're going to see some changes in this over the next few years. And there's just going to be uh, kind of a, a shift to this. And so it's going to, they're going to come up with ways that are that are better depending on uh the types of uh types of uses that we're talking about here um you know the one that still shocks me is just how relatively insecure banking sites are because it's just a simple username and password granted it's over ssl uh but there's no two-factor authentication you know it's you've got to go through more steps to get into uh um you know to your to twitter than there is to get into your bank account um but uh you know either way it's uh you know there are things that are changing and changing very quickly and so we continue to watch them and, and talk about them as we go. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.